This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. I hope you guys had a great weekend. It was a busy weekend for Dog Nation. It's been a busy Monday. It seems like every Monday is. There'll be more news coming this week. Tomorrow, Kirby Smart. More availability for the media. Whose name will Kirby call out tomorrow? We'll talk about that. And whose name have we heard so far? We'll talk more about that as well. Uh, exciting time if you're a Georgia football fan, no doubt about it. You know, I did a story Saturday when Richard Seymour went into the college, excuse me, went into the NFL Hall of Fame. And I just got to thinking, has there ever been a program? And, and I'm remiss because I have not checked this out yet, but I'll bet you Georgia may be the first program ever to have in order a Super Bowl champion quarterback, a national championship team, the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, and an NFL Hall of Fame uh, and a player inducted in the NFL Hall of Fame. Has any other program does that in a six-month span? I'll go over that again. National championship program, Super Bowl winning program, number one, excuse me, Super Bowl winning quarterback, number one overall pick, and player inducted in the NFL Hall of Fame. I'll hang up and listen. I, I think Georgia, so when we talk about Georgia owning the moment and when we talk about Georgia football and the impressions that it's making, the narrative that it's changing, I think it's really impressive. Now, today, the first top 25 poll of the year came out. It was the coaches poll, and Georgia was number three. Alabama was number one. That's really no surprise. Bama with the Heisman Trophy winner back, Will Anderson back, who won the Nagurski. I think he's regarded as the best defensive player in college football. Uh, a loaded experience defense uh, and some transfers. Obviously, Jermaine Burton, one of them, Gibbs, the running back from Georgia Tech, another, but an offense that that I think um, you know could be as dangerous as last year, but a much improved defense. The Ohio State number two, uh, Ohio State with C.J. Stroud. This this guy's unbelievable. I know we watched the Rose Bowl; they looked very good against Utah. Uh, I think Ohio State probably deserving of the two ranking because I think people are trying to forecast who's going to play for the national title. And because Ohio State is in the Big Ten, they have a much cleaner runway into the postseason than Georgia does. Because Georgia basically has to be perfect during the regular season to be able to afford a loss to Alabama like they suffered last year. And that's tough to do in this league. Even though when we saw the top 25 come out, there were only two opponents on Georgia's regular season schedule that are in that top 25. Oregon, were they 13, 12, 13? And Kentucky, I believe 21, 22. So in that neighborhood. So on the waiting list, Tennessee was in others receiving votes. Uh, Mississippi State, South Carolina. Uh, I believe Florida was others receiving votes. So there are some teams that could bubble up. Probably some of those teams are among the best 25 in the country. But because they're in the SEC, they kind of cannibalize one another. And again, a lot of people, when they vote top 25, and, and I'm not saying this is how all the coaches or SIDs who voted for the coaches thought, 
But I know I've seen a lot of people that are trying to predict the top 25 as much as actually rank who the top 25 teams are. But think about where we're at. When we say George is number three, and one of the common themes and stories I've heard, in fact, you heard Brandon Adams uh, on Dog Nation Daily interviewing me last Wednesday, asking me about the disrespect. How about that disrespect of Georgia football being ranked number three? How far has Georgia football come that number three is considered disrespect? Well, I'll tell you this. Georgia has been ranked in the preseason top five now five straight years. That's never happened in Georgia history. And, you know, maybe your your grandparents or your parents or your uncles, you know, they want to tell you about those great Vince Dooley teams. And certainly the Herschel Walker era was unbelievable. But would you believe that none of Vince Dooley's teams were ever ranked in the preseason top five? The expectations were not the same. Georgia football did not have the same national presence. As a general rule, football was much more regionalized back then, right? The people in the Big Ten cared about Ohio State and Michigan. They didn't care about the SEC. The people in the SEC didn't care about the people in the Big Ten. The Pac-12 was so far removed with USC and UCLA, they didn't really notice. And, and the Big 12 with Nebraska, I guess it wasn't, I guess it was the Big Eight then with Nebraska and Oklahoma. And then you had the Southwest Conference with Texas and Texas A&M. It wasn't nearly as much of a national product. And I'll bet all of you watching can tell me why, right? You know why, right? Cable television, internet, 1995, 96, somewhere around there, it really blew up. You know, I remember when I was covering Tennessee, one of the big reasons that Philip Fulmer in Tennessee surged in recruiting was Peyton Manning brought so much attention to the school and they got a lot of favorable TV slots. Gradually, more and more teams were on television. Gradually, ESPN beefed up their coverage where now we have studio shows uh, covering every top 25 game in the country. You're seeing highlights, right? And you're seeing the SEC network and you're seeing the Big Ten network and the ACC network. So now more than ever, fans can tune in and, and get more coverage regionally, but there's also a national presence that wasn't there before. And the fact that Kirby Smart has Georgia in the preseason top five, five straight years, and Five straight finishes in the top seven. That's never happened either. Okay. So what Kirby is doing is unprecedented. I understand that Georgia fans are competitive and they don't like that Alabama's number. Well, that's good. Think about where you're at. You're, you're so upset that Alabama's ranked higher, that you're not getting your respect. I remember in the 90s and early 2000s, I mean, Georgia was a pretty good program. You know, Mark Rick was always 9, 10, 11 wins, but they weren't the national championship contender every single year that we see now. And I had a chance to attend a couple of practices, not very long of an observation period. Kirby kind of lets us in for a couple team periods, and then we have to leave. It's probably 10 to 15 minutes. And in that time, you've got time to, to walk the entire sideline. There's two fields going at once and pretty much lay eyes on every position group. Now, the last practice I watched the DBs a little bit closer. 
Uh, the first practice, I was watching the receivers and the tight ends. Um, you know, there's hard – it's hard to gauge anything of relevance when they're just kind of going through blocking drills or, you know, making catches. I said, oh, someone reported all oh, these great catch. There's nobody covering them, guys. They're not playing football. They're playing catch in shorts and helmets. Now, you can see how guys move, and you can see who's physically imposing. And I wrote a story about the most physically imposing players last week. More the, the the most you can pick up is actually from Kirby Smart because you know he carries a microphone around. And I interviewed Darian Kendrick about this at the Senior Bowl, and I interviewed Lewis Seen, and they both talked about how Kirby's always on that microphone, and he's calling out these names. If you're not hustling from one drill to the next, if you got your helmet on the wrong way, uh, if you're not coming off the line fast enough, if you're not getting from drill to drill, he'll call out your name. He'll call out your number. And it'll kind of put you on notice. Now, Kirby is a very calculated guy. Obviously, that's why he's the highest paid coach in college football. Everything he does is with purpose. And I think most of the most successful people out there, they're very efficient with their time and they're very efficient with their action. So when Kirby Smart calls out a player and he knows the media is there, okay, there's an intent. And it's no different than what I would see Tom Izzo do at Michigan State or uh, Pat Summit or Gene Stallings or Philip Fulmer. Uh, all these coaches, they use the media, all right? They use the media. They don't let the media use them. They'll let you know when you can come in. They'll control what you see and they'll control what you hear. And therefore, they're controlling the narrative and they know what you're going to write. And sometimes Kirby will say things about a player or players knowing it's going to get reported. And then the player, what you know, what do they, they hear from friends? They hear from family. They look on their social media and all of a sudden it's surrounding them. Right. And now they feel that pressure. They feel that accountability. It's a reminder. Oh, my gosh. Eric Gilbert you know, he wasn't moving fast enough after one play. I'll bet you he heard from friends and coaches and, hey, are everything, are you doing all? Yeah, I'm fine. I guess I, you know, because here's why. And Kirby was like this on Richard LeCount. Kirby was like this on Stetson in the spring. He was like it with Devontae Wyatt before the 2020 season. He was on top of Jordan Davis's weight all the time. Kirby understands how to motivate players. And I don't think all the fans understand that. I had some people, this is going to sound crazy and probably surprise you, but there were some people mad at me because I wrote what Kirby Smart said. I didn't say it. Kirby said it. I did a story on Eric Gilbert and how much this guy's been through. A year ago, he's off the team. Undisclosed incident, taking time off for personal reasons. We all wondered, are we ever going to see Eric Gilbert again? Well, not only did we see him in the spring, but he looked fantastic in the G-Day game. Remember, he caught two touchdown passes. I think he was targeted five times, three in the red zone, two touchdowns. Uh, I want to say a pass interference, two pass interference penalties. They literally couldn't stop this guy. So now fast forward to the fall, and Kirby's saying, hey, let's get it going. And, you know, what is this, a walkthrough? Why is that? Because Kirby – sees how close Eric Gilbert is to being dynamic. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make a prediction here. 
Eric Gilbert is going to be the most impactful new player on the Georgia football team this year. He will have more impact on that offense. I mean, Brock Bowers was the freshman of the year. I'm, I'm on the committee. I helped pick Brock Bowers. I, I argued, you may have saw the, arti, ar, the article I did last week. Uh, ESPN did their top 50 freshmen of all time. And I said, how in the world is Brock Bowers not on there? And, and they didn't have him in the top 10 receivers or tight ends either. I said, this is ridiculous, man. Like, do you not understand 13 touchdown catches? Uh, what, 15 yards per catch? Now, he didn't have as many yards or catches as some, but Georgia didn't throw the ball that much. If you look at the target share, I mean, you could add up Jermaine Burton and Lad McConkey and their numbers, catches and yards, very comparable to Brock Bowers. He was the offensive MVP for Georgia last season. Over the course of the season, there wasn't one player who meant more or was more or was any um, more indispensable than Brock Bowers. Nobody could have replicated what he did. If he's not out there, nobody's doing what he's doing. All these other positions, there's somebody else that can step in. I really went hard on that. And I still think Brock Bowers is going to be very good this year, but I also think the defenses are going to be more inclined to pay more attention to him. Now, Munkin's going to be use him as the Frankenstein. They're going to keep lining him up all over the place, in the backfield, in motion, in the slot, in tight. But I want to know who can cover Eric Gilbert. I'm not sure there's a player out there that can cover him. As fast as he is, as big as he is, as strong as he is. I know Kyle Pitts was very special. and He was a first-round pick out of Florida. I think Eric Gilbert is in that mold. I think Eric Gilbert is a first-round draft pick if he puts it all together. If Kirby gets everything out of him that he wants, if he can make Eric accountable to himself to give 100 every play all the way through, and that's why I wrote about him. Because I understand what the head coach sees in this guy. And I hope you do too. And one article in August about Eric getting singled out in two practices, not one, but both, that's, that's big. And you watch. I would be willing to bet that by the end of the week, Kirby Smart will compliment Eric Gilbert and say he has picked it up in practice. That's what happened in the spring with Stetson. And I predict that's what's going to happen with Eric Gilbert. Because when guys like Gilbert get challenged publicly, they're proud. And it won't happen again, probably. I just can't imagine. Now, Gilbert's been through a lot. He's grown a lot. He's going to be unbelievable this year. That's my prediction. I've got a few other offensive takeaways I want to share with you in the first half of the show. And then the second half, I'm going to give you some defensive takeaways. So, the Stetson Bennett makeover, all right? So I don't care what his hair looks like. I don't care that he's wearing death row record T-shirts instead of, you know, maybe the kind of clothes he wore. But I, the gold, I don't care, okay? All that is marketing. And if Stetson's handlers want to package him like this, all the power to him. All that matters to me is two things that Stetson's worked on. One, can he operate out of the pocket? That's something he didn't do last year. He couldn't really do that. Two, better decision-making, right? 
Stetson was the first guy to tell us sometimes he did some dumb things, right? He said, mucking can be anal. He said, but sometimes you suck and you need it. I like how down to earth Stetson is and grounded he is and realistic about his own abilities. That, that tells me this is a guy that can improve, right? If he was out there saying he was the best, you know, in the SEC, uh, you'd have a problem. But Stetson knows he's got to improve. He's worked on those two areas. Will he be able to throw the ball outside of the numbers this year? And will he be able to operate in the pocket and throw in passing situations without the benefit of the run? Now, that said, I don't think there's many teams that can take the run away. I think George is devastating as a play-action team. And if you get Stead a running game, I think he's devastating in the play-action and on the shot play on the fade, okay? But what if a team takes that away? And that's what you're looking at in a championship game situation, whether it's Ohio State, whether it's Alabama, whether it's Clemson, uh, you know, could Oregon perhaps challenge? I don't know. But the most important thing for Stetson Bennett is to make good decisions and improve operating out of the pocket. Those were the two weaknesses. Everybody knew it. Kirby's gone after it. Um, it's going to be exciting to see because I think Oregon's going to challenge them early. RBU. So ESPN's got an article out where they've got RBU, Alabama, ranked the top five. Georgia's not even in the top five. And it's not like they're playing favorites. They're looking at like where have guys have been drafted, how many guys have panned out, how many guys have busted since 1998. Hard to argue the logic. I think this year, though, with Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton, I think this is another step to return of RBU status. Swift is active in the NFL. He's one of the top four or five guys. You know, Chubb is a superstar as well. Uh, Zamir White with a great opening game in the uh, scrimmage last week at the Hall of Fame game. And James Cook reportedly doing good things in Buffalo. If you package Milton and Mack and get two more guys in the NFL this year, I think George is back on their way. And I also think these players are, are, are dynamic. You know, a moment ago I talked about how in the world do you cover Brock Bowers and Eric Gilbert split out in the slot. Okay, instead of receivers, you split these guys in the slot and put big Darnell Washington in, in uh, attached to the line. If you do cover those guys and you have those safeties, who's going to take those backs out of the backfield? I predict very big plays for Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton out of the backfield. You're going to see some explosivity from those two backs. I think a step up even from last year. Wide receiver, A.D. Mitchell's the guy that Kirby likes to stay on top of. Again, on the microphone, another sign that Kirby loves this kid. You know, it almost seems backwards, right? You would think that when a coach gets on a guy, that must be the guy in the doghouse. But it's, it's absolutely the opposite for Kirby. Kirby gets on the guys that he thinks the most of. He pushes those guys the hardest. Like I said, Jordan Davis used to get it. Right. Devontae Wyatt used to get it. Richie LeCount was the best example of it. A.D. Mitchell's kind of that guy. And A.D. looks bigger and stronger to me. I was very impressed with how much work he's done on his body. Uh, Lad McConkey, another guy that, that I think is just a super leader, a fantastic player. Um, just can't say enough good things about this guy. Uh, real team chemistry guy, probably uh, definitely a team captain as well. Now, you may have read a little bit about the offensive line competition, particularly at guard. I know when they came out last week, Devin Willick and Tate Ratledge 
were both running with the first team. Xavier Truss and Warren Erickson, 1A, 1B on both of those. And Kirby mentioned Micah Morris and Dylan Fairchild. I mean, we're talking about six guys that can play that power position. They can take on the best defensive lineman in the nation in the SEC. This is very impressive what Georgia has up front. Of course, you know, tackle, very sound. Broderick Jones could be a first-round pick from left tackle. Warren McClendon, a former freshman All-American. He's a third-year starter. And Amarius Mims is, is ready to get out there. I'll tell you, Amarius, uh, man, did he look good last week in practice. What a big physical guy. I was I was very blown away, very impressed. Those are some of my offensive uh, takeaways. Now, when I come back, we're going to talk about uh, a couple stories that developed over the weekend. David Cutcliffe gave his thoughts on why Georgia did not get Arch Manning. I know we all have our theories, but very few people are as close to the Manning family as David Cutcliffe. And uh, I spent some time with him. And I put that story out. And then George's old friend, Brenton Cox from Stockbridge, Georgia. He had some fun things to say uh, about the dogs and this year's game. And I know all the Georgia fans were uh, embraced that and had some fun with what Brenton Cox had to say uh, and took note. But right now, I want to take note of our sponsor, Ingalls, every week. Uh, they bring you on the beat. I appreciate the sponsorship. Certainly appreciate Ingles service. We all know that Ingles was there for us through the pandemic. They're here for us today as well. They continue to serve the community. Let's take this moment and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, good days and some bad. We stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. With open arms, heart to heart, hand in hand. Community strong. So I know most all of you have already read Jeff Sentel's story about the new running back commitment uh, to Vani Mizell, a kid from Damatha Catholic. Uh, Nick named the boogeyman. Now, this is a running back in the 2024 class, uh, over 200 pounds, uh, supposedly with a 4.3940. So uh, plenty of time left for this young man to play high school football this year and next. But right now, uh, a Georgia commitment. And Jeff Centel has a story up on that right now on dognation.com that you're going to want to check out. So let's start with Brenton Cox. Uh, what was I doing Saturday night when I saw the tweet from Brenton Cox? Better be ready for me. You know, Georgia put out some highlights from practice on video. They don't allow the media to take any pictures in there or shoot video, which I think is a little over the top. I think it's almost time for college football to grow up a little bit. I mean, the NFL lets fans in, lets media in, lets them watch the football. There's no reason why that shouldn't happen at this level. Obviously, these players are getting paid now, some of them millions, and players know where they're at on the depth chart. But, uh, you know, Nick Saban does it this way, and a lot of coaches copy for whatever reason. But the point being, Brenton Cox took note of this video. It showed the guys doing their offensive line reps and, and uh, Broderick Jones. And I kind of feel like maybe Cox aimed this at Broderick Jones. That's a guy that he's got to know. They're from the same area there. And it was better get ready for me was the message. 
And then he put some highlights out. And I thought, you know what? I'm good with this. I'm good with this. He didn't say Georgia stinks. He didn't say I hate Georgia. No, he just had some fun. Hey, you better be ready for me. I mean, isn't that part of what we love about college football is the way the players interact and the rivalries that they have? I mean, they're all friends. They all know one another. But uh, I thought it was funny. Uh, and, you know, Brenton Cox didn't leave under the best circumstances. He had a hard spring. I think we all remember that. I remember covering the autograph session, the last one Georgia held, if I'm not mistaken, you know, in the indoor facility and everybody was lined up and, and Brenton Cox was there signing autographs. And, and I want to say a week later, he might've been signing autographs at the Florida show. Seems like it, but he was gone after spring drills. And, you know, he was a budding talent. Uh, he did have a difficult time in the 2018 SEC championship game as a freshman, but he showed enough promise that he would have been a starter at Georgia. Uh, and I'm sure that there's a part of him that his heart will always be in Georgia. But he's a Florida Gator now, and he's fired up to play the Bulldogs. Uh, he beat the Dogs the first time he played them in 2020. Of course, he set out 2019, and then he lost last year. So Brenton Cox is one and one, and the Gators uh, are looking to try to make it two out of three this year. You know, this is Georgia's designated home game this year. This game would be in Athens if – if uh, they went to the home and home, which a lot of people have talked about. And uh, that's something that I'll probably talk about a little later this week. Um, collecting more information on that. Believe me, the folks in Jacksonville are, are putting together a, a grassroots, grassroots effort to keep the game. The Jacksonville community does a wonderful job hosting the game and also putting a lot of interest into it. It would be nice to see the Athens community and civic government do that, but they're not really geared towards that. I think they care more about the bicycle race and the classic center amateur hockey. There just doesn't seem to be the concessions that they should be willing to make for what would be a $25 million weekend. I don't really understand it. I, I don't understand Athens downtown politics. I know it's an incredible downtown. You've heard me speak many times on here about how unique and special it is. And you don't want to lose that. You don't want the big box stores coming in and making this look like every other town in America. You want those independent proprietors out there. Um, but Athens has got to help itself too. Anyway, uh, this game in Jacksonville this year is going to be interesting. I thought Brenton Cox's comments were interesting. I provided some background. There's a story on Dog Nation. A lot of dog fans sounded off on that, had a lot to say about it. Feel free to go in there, put your comments in it. It's on dognation.com. You'll see the headline. You'll see the Brenton Cox, Brenton Cox picture and uh, enjoy it, man. You know, if, if you love to hate or you hate to love, uh, however you want to say it. Now, David Cutcliffe uh, spoke with David at the SEC Media Days. Now, David is somebody that I go way, way back with, like 25 years back with. Um. When I covered Alabama, he was Mike Dubose's choice to be the offensive coordinator when Mike got hired in 1997, but he couldn't wrestle him away from Tennessee because Cutcliffe's wife was like teacher of the year. And she basically told her husband, I don't care what deal you made when you were college roommates with Mike Dubose at Alabama, I ain't moving. So Cut wasn't moving. He stuck around. Of course, it worked out pretty good for him in 98 with a national championship right before he took the old Miss job. But I go way back with him. 
And so I said, you know, I want to ask you about the Arch Manning thing. And he said, well, look, you know, I can't tell you exactly why. We may never find out exactly why. But he said, here's a couple of my thoughts. And the first thing he talked about, and again, there's a story up on this if you want to see all the quotes and details. But he said, you know, I, I think it comes down to how you feel on campus. And that goes beyond the that's That's people. I thought, oh, my gosh. All right. So it's not Kirby. It's not Munkin. What happened in the spring? Could the quarterback room, could that have, I don't know. I don't know, but I know that when he was here in the fall, there was a lot of momentum for Georgia. And, and then he told everyone he thought Athens was the best college town. So that's not it. It's not the education. It's top 20. It's not the team's ability to win championships. It's not Todd Munkin. So what does that leave? And, and because Cutcliffe indicated it wasn't the offense either. He said, I don't think it has anything to do with that. I, he said, I tell all my quarterbacks that a good run game is your best friend. The other thing that he said that I think a lot of Georgia fans have latched on to is that by going to Texas, which is coming into the league in 2025, Arch Manning's going to have a chance to get some momentum before he comes into the league. If he came to Georgia, he'd be at a place that, let's face it, Peyton Manning's not real fond of. If he went to Alabama, he'd be at a place that Old Miss and Arch and, and Eli probably aren't real fond of. And then Cut said, and Old Miss is Old Miss, which I took that to mean, and I, I, my interpretation, they don't want to play for Lane Kiffin. So my thought is that Arch may have started to question George a little bit because of the quarterback situation, room, whatever you want to say. And his uncles, Eli and Peyton, weren't going to try and talk him out of it because they, they're fine with, you know, Peyton fine with him not being at Georgia, Eli fine with him not him being in Alabama. I don't I think it was his decision, just to be clear. I don't think anybody's directing him. But that was kind of my takeaway. Cutcliffe's a, a really intelligent guy. Um, and I appreciated his his, you know, theorizing on this. So we'll never know. The ship has sailed. I know a lot of Georgia fans have moved on. It'd be easier if there was another quarterback in this class, but Georgia kind of went chips all in. And it just doesn't make sense to me when a championship program like Georgia loses out to a five and seven Texas. I, I, Sarkeesian, it seems shaky to me. I've seen people, you know, they lost to Kansas last year. They got to play Alabama this year. How bad do you think that game's going to be? I, would, I think I might give 28 points to Texas and take out. I don't even know what the line is. Um, anyway, now, defensive takeaways, closing things out here. Defensive line, you know, you can't help but but uh, notice Big Bear, Alexander. He's about the same size as Jalen Carter. Um, now, both of those guys are a notch smaller than Jordan Davis. Yeah, miss seeing number 99 out there. Miss uh, Devontae White as well. So the – the defensive line has gotten a little bit shorter, but they're still squatty. They're still double wides and athletic. My goodness, the way those guys can move at that size uh, between the tackles, Zion Logue, Jalen Carter, let me tell you, it's going to be tough going for anybody between the tackles with the way these, uh, these big cats move. So impressed. Nolan Smith looks great out there. I've compared him to a Raptor. Ever seen those Jurassic Park movies? 
I mean, the way Nolan closes on people, the burst that he has, uh, doesn't look like there's an ounce of fat on his body. Just looks dynamite out there. Uh, Michael Williams is another guy. And Marvin Jones, I mean, my goodness. These guys look like grown men. I, I mean, I, I look at these guys and I remember when I was young, uh, you know, being the high school running back, thinking that I would be willing to run into any defensive line and any person out there. And I look at these guys and I say, no, no I think I ought to run away. Th these guys, I, I just physically imposing. Marvin Jones and Michael Williams, just I can't wait for you to see number seven and number 13 on the field this year. So dynamic. Smile Munden, a guy that Kirby talked about at linebacker, one of the most athletic guys that he's ever seen. And I know Jeff Santel has talked a lot about him. And, you know, Jeff talks a lot about everybody and in all of his stories, they're all the best players ever. But because most of them are where they're from, frankly, but Munden is a guy that stands out even on the Jeff Santel scale. And, uh, and Kirby Smart alluded to that. So this is going to be a guy to keep an eye on. How does he play sideline to sideline, the speed, the finesse, right? Now, he's, he's big, but he's more of a finesse speed guy. And you know I'm big on Jamon Dumas Johnson. You know number 10 is a guy that I say brings the hat. I, the way he hits people, I just – I feel like he just crunches, crunches people. I mean, I, I when I hear a hit from Jamon Dumas Johnson, I just – you know, and I've been covering football a long time, and so I know what a big-time hit sounds like. And the collision that this guy had with Kendall Milton in the spring game, I'm glad they both got up. I mean, you talk about two powerful football players. In the secondary, we're all kind of paying attention to who's going to get the job opposite of Keely Ringo. I'm going to tell you, Nylon Green impressed me, all right? He was a guy that I was down on because he had the off-the-field incident shooting out the windows and all that in November. And I'm thinking, boy, you wear the number one, and then you do something like that, um, doghouse, right? But apparently he's out of it. I'll tell you, he's long. He's athletic. He looks good out there. Kamari Lasseter, a guy that came in last fall, Kirby Smart said, kind of stole the show as a late enrollee. Never really got much PT. Um was having a great spring. I think he got ill the night before the G-Day game, so we didn't get to see him. But he looks good. Had a nice juggling interception in one of the tip drills the other day. And then the guy that I like, Dalen Everett, I, I like the way this freshman looked in the G-Day game. The way he came up and run support uh, really blew me away. Uh, for a freshman to play run support and play that physical, an early enrollee at that, this kid should have still been in high school. He's coming up and run support, putting a hit down. And even in coverage, now he got beat deep, but he was right in the guy's hip pocket, and the coverage was there. And I was so impressed with Dalen Everett. Safety is a is a, is a concern. Uh, we, we, we all like Dirty Dan Jackson. We like the story being from the chicken capital of the world, as he calls it up there in Gainesville, Georgia. He's a great kid. Um, you know, he knows where the play's going. He's smart. You've seen Dan Jackson. He'll put his body in front of anything and anybody. I just don't know if he's athletic enough to play that spot against elite competition. You know, Malachi Starks is a guy that was recruited for that spot. David Daniels, a guy, I remember David got hit by a car last year. Looks good out there now. Uh, Kirby's thrown out there that maybe Tyke Smith could get some reps there. I don't know if I buy that. I think Tyke's more of a box safety, one of these safeties that, you know, as the star 
good in run support, kind of like a Mark Webb kind of guy, um, certainly an NFL talent. But that's the position I'm looking at right now, that safety spot next to Christopher Smith. That might be the weakest link on defense. And, and offensively, um, you know, hard to speculate on where the weak link is. I mean, y'all have your opinions just like I do. So I think we can leave it at that. Let's keep everything on a really positive note. I, like I said, Georgia fans are so passionate right now and, and so eager for the season to start. And everybody wants good news. And certainly I want to help deliver uh, as much good news as I can while still covering the team and letting you know what you need to know. I'll take a look at some questions here. Uh, looks like John says he made some plays last year. Uh, John, he did, but he also got pulled out of the SEC championship game because he got beat on some plays early. Um, it'll be really good to see uh, if Dan has improved enough uh, to be out there against some of the elite pass teams. I think he's very good against the run, but, you know, that's a tough job. Lewis Seen was a first-round pick. Regardless of who they put in that position, I think it's going to be really hard for them to fill Lewis Seen's shoes. I see Lewis Gilman wants to know about Darnell Washington. Loved Darnell's attitude in the spring when he called himself a role player. Uh, I think he understands that Bowers and Gilbert are probably going to have more volume. But I think Darnell's going to be a red zone guy. You know, you've got a six foot seven guy that can jump, and you've seen his hands. You saw him make the catch in the SEC championship game. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Darnell Washington approached double-digit touchdowns without getting much volume. I think he'll be very efficient in the red zone, though, for sure. Uh, let's see what other questions you guys have for me. Uh, where That's right. Kirby's visor says, we know where the trophy is now. You know, I sense Georgia fans kind of holding on to last year. And you know what? I would, too, if I was a fan. You know, I was a fan. There was a time. There was a time. When I was a fan, and I don't often talk about it because it was a long time ago, but I was a Denver Broncos fan, and, and more specifically, John Elway was a player that that I just thought was the greatest quarterback ever. You know, it just seemed like he would put the team on his shoulders. You know, he'd scramble for those first downs, he'd throw those fastball. You know, his receivers they weren't great. Never really had a great running back until Terrell Davis. But when Elway finally won the Super Bowl, I wanted it to go on and on, right? But when he retired, it was over for me. It was over. You know, I, I was no longer, I no longer felt any emotional investment in a team. It was like, okay, that's it. That's it. Yeah, I still like the Broncos, but I like a lot of NFL teams now. I like the teams where there's players that I covered. I'm I'm going to watch the Eagles this year because Jordan Davis and N'Kobe Dean were such magnetic and charismatic guys. I'm going to watch the Packers because I really like Eric Stokes. I think he's such a special guy, and now he's got Quay and 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 Devontae Wyatt up there with him. So I'm going to watch the Packers and. Um, you know, the Giants with Tate Crowder and Aziz. So what happens when you're in the media is you become more of a fan of people than teams, like coaches you know, players that you liked, that had, you know, nice personalities or good stories. You always root for the good story, right? And I'm like anybody else. If I'm a fantasy football guy, whoever I drafted, I want them to do well that weekend. But uh, but my point is, is I understand the pain and suffering 
as a former Broncos fan that watched the Broncos lose a few Super Bowls before Elway finally won a couple. So I get it. But where George is at right now in the program I cover, I'm in the now, right? My objective is to try to stay on Kirby Smart's wavelength. And, and I think I have a pretty good understanding of Kirby. And you can too. It's this simple. If you want to understand Kirby Smart and predict what he's going to say, it's this simple. Every question, virtually every question is answered by this. Does it help Georgia win a championship? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, that's where Kirby's going. I mean, he is completely devoted to winning championships at Georgia and making decisions that lead to championships. Not about making anybody feel good. Not about saving hurt feelings. Not about playing politics. Does this help Georgia win a championship? Now, there's been things I've disagreed with. There's things you disagree with, too. But in Kirby's mind, that's what it's all about. There's always a reason for what he does and what he says, even if you disagree or maybe don't recognize it. So that's kind of where my mind is at. So my mind with Georgia right now is not about last year. I know fans are all hung up on it. I'm not. Because I, I feel the urgency in Kirby's tone that he wants this program to win another one. Like, you all might go, oh, man, it's been 40 years. Oh, thank God it's over. It, that's, Kirby's flushed that, man. Kirby wants number two. It's about number two. It's about week two of practice first. Eventually, it's going to be about week one against Oregon. And then, you know, what he can brush up on with those cream puff games. But then he goes to South Carolina week three, right? There's a sense of urgency. This team is not complacent because, as Kirby said, a lot of these guys weren't even here or weren't on the field. So these guys, a lot of these players this year on the team haven't won anything. Now, some have. Noel Smith, Stetson Bennett, you know, Kenny McIntosh made some key plays. Um Darnell Washington showed up late in the year. Certainly Brock Bowers carried the team on his back all year. Lad McConkey, A.D. Mitchell with the fabulous catch. Jalen Carter with the block field goal that really turned the momentum in the game. There's some guys that return. Jack Podlesny, I don't know, why doesn't Pod get any more preseason love? I don't get it. Guy kicks clutch field goals. But there's a lot of newness. And that's what I feel. And that's, that's the moment that I'm in. So if I don't bow down with all the respect to last year, it last year doesn't matter. And if I don't, you know, put Stetson number two on the list, it's not about what Stet did last year. How good is he? Not who's the quarterback on the second best team, but if you were just picking quarterbacks, where would you pick them? Right? So I try to be objective with that. Look, I, I know he's improved. I know he's a gamer, but would you really pick him second of all the SEC quarterbacks if you were starting a team and you took your Georgia hat off? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Because if Stetson improves, he can be one of the top quarterbacks in the league. If he can make those throws and make good decisions because he's got the mobility and he's got the experience. I mean, he's a grown man. He'll be 25 in October. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see, really fun to see. How good is the run game? Can Oregon stop anybody? I did a story today. Oregon knows that if they don't stop George on the ground, man, it's going to be a long night for Dan Lanning and the Ducks. Talk about having your feathers ruffled. I mean, 
We're going to find out if the Ducks are all they're quacked up to be, but it's going to start on that D-line. If they can't stop the run, Kirby will wear them out. They'll go for 250 yards on the ground if Oregon hasn't improved. Utah went over 200. I'd be willing to bet Lanning is going to pack that box, and he's going to make Georgia throw it over the top. He's going to make A.D. Mitchell have a big night. And Lad McConkie and Kenny McIntosh and Stetson Bennett. He's going to put all the pressure on those guys. It's going to be a fantastic game. I can't wait for September 3rd. The only thing that would make it better was if it was at Alston Stadium. I covered a game there once. I'll end with this story. I like telling you guys stories. Sorry, Michael, I'm going a little long tonight. I covered a Michigan State game at Alston Stadium. Marcus Mariota was there. It was his Heisman Trophy year. I think I saw his Heisman Trophy play. He spun away from one linebacker and, and ran between two others and converted to third down. Michigan State had him down. It was a really good Michigan State team. Might have been 2013. 2013, right? Or 2014. Can't recall. One of those two years. Anyway, Austin Stadium, it was so loud that Michigan State thought, believed that they had an artificial noisemaker in the stadium. And what was interesting about it was Oregon's offense, ran, they ran this spread, kind of like what you saw JT Daniels run with Munkin last year, this modified spread pro-style air raid type of attack. And Mariota was just such a magician, man. He was such a fantastic player. And the Ducks on each play, based on how the defense lined up, they would kind of make offensive audible. They'd call the plays at the line based on how the defense was lining up. Well, when the Ducks would audible and shift, the Michigan State defense would have to communicate. All the DBs would have to change coverages. Well, the noise came when Oregon was on offense because they didn't want the defense to be able to communicate and adjust to Mariota and the Ducks' shifts. It was fantastic. It was such a fantastic game. Oregon won it. I covered Michigan State. I felt bad for the Spartans. You know, they're the ultimate underdogs. You know, they don't have the kind of talent that some of these other teams do. Uh, so I felt bad for those guys because it was such a marquee game. They beat Oregon the next year, but it wasn't the same. Uh, but, man, watching Oregon and Mariota and Alston Stadium, I feel bad Georgia fans can't get that trip. I really wish this was a home-and-home. Home. That's one of the best stadiums I've ever been to, one of the funnest. I don't know if I'd want to go cover a whole season there. But as far as unique, it's got like that overhang and it's almost like the noise from the crowd reverberates off the top of that overhang that goes over the stands. It's really unique, really different. And of course, their facilities are unbelievable. And Oregon's just a really different place out there. Unfortunately, I think there were some wildfires burning when we were out there. So it was like, uh, you know, don't slow down on the interstate, man. But uh, there'll be more home and homes ahead. Next year, Georgia goes to Norman, Oklahoma. Um don't know if they're going to get that game moved. My bet is that they just go ahead and play it. I think that'll be fun. Listen, I have had so much fun talking to you guys tonight. I always enjoy doing the Monday night show, getting your feedback. If you've got questions for me, do this for me because we're doing this new feature called Gimme Five. You might have saw Connor did one Thursday where we get five questions and we do a video. And my it's my week this week. If I can figure out how to format it, it'll be my week. I hope I don't got to pass it to Centel. But if you can give me five questions – uh, you can sign up to my Twitter and direct message me at Mike Griffith 32, or you can email me Mike Griffith 032 at Gmail. 
or you can ask your questions in here. And I'm going to pick five questions and I'll mention your name um, if I pick one of your questions. And then I'm going to answer those questions Thursday. And that's our Gimme Five feature. So uh, stay tuned. You know, Jeff's got a show Wednesday night uh, before the hedges. You're going to want to watch that. Jeff does a great job with that show, gets a lot of these recruits on there. And then, of course, every day, I, I know most all of you watch Brandon Adams with Dog Nation Daily. Um, you know, Brandon revved up for the season as well. Uh, I'll be on with Brandon Wednesday. I'm his Wednesday guest. If you get a chance to tune in tomorrow morning, uh, Nashville Radio for me, 920 on WNSR. If you like the Bill King Show, you can find that on Twitter. I do WJOX at, uh, gosh, I guess it's about 1230 Eastern time. If you want to listen to that show, it's called Three Man Front. Uh, and I'll do that in Birmingham tomorrow, 1130. Maybe another fine bomb appearance this week. Did one last week from the stadium. Um, a lot of fun talking about the Georgia Bulldogs, you know, uh, covering a national championship program is, is something that every beat writer wants to do. And it's special because the program is dynamic and the fans, you guys bring it. Um, and that's that's why I cover Georgia. People say, why'd you go coverage? I said, because uh, that's the program. If you're going to be a college football writer, you want to be covering the best teams, right? I've done Alabama. I've done Auburn. I did Tennessee. I did Michigan State. But Georgia – Georgia specials. Georgia's different. I'm enjoying it. Guys, have a great week. I look forward to seeing you again. Thanks for joining me tonight.